When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, welcome to The Tint. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. You know, as we all know, the basis of many of our botanical method aquariums is, I know, wait for it, leaves. They make up a huge percentage of the plant materials which accumulate in tropical streams and other bodies of water in nature. And as we know, they're an extremely important asset to the fishes that live in these habitats, providing protection, food, and even physical territory. So when leaves fall off trees, they create an additional environment. They enhance the ecosystem that they're present in. They're a very important part of these environments. What makes leaves fall off in, you know, the trees in the first place? Well, it's pretty simple or, or rather complex, but I suppose it's simple too. Essentially, the tree commands leaves to fall off the tree by creating specialized cells which appear where the leaf stem meets the branches. So these are called abscission cells. Now for word junkies out there, they actually have the same Latin root as the word scissors, which of course implies that these cells are designed to make a cut. So these abscission cells get the command to drop the, drop the leaves and that's what they do. And in the tropical species of trees, the leaf drop is really important not only to the tree, but to the surrounding environment. So the nutrients that are typically bound up in the leaves are released into the environment. So a regular release of leaves by trees helps replenish the minerals and nutrients, which are typically depleted from, you know, eons of leaching into the surrounding forests. And the rapid nutrient depletion, by the way, is why it's not healthy to burn tropical forests. The release of nutrients as a result of, you know, fire is so rapid that the habitat can't process it. And in essence, the nutrients are lost forever. Now, interestingly enough, most tropical forest trees are classified as evergreens and don't have a specific seasonal leaf drops like the deciduous trees that many of us are more familiar with. Rather, they replace their leaves gradually throughout the year as the leaves age and subsequently fall off the trees. So what's the implication here? Well, there's a more or less continuous supply of leaves falling into the jungles and waterways and tropical environments, which is why you'll see leaves at various stages of decomposition in tropical streams. It's also why leaf litter banks may be almost permanent structures with some of these, you know, within some of these bodies of water. In fact, there are documented cases of documented locales within South America, Brazil, for example, where some of these leaf litter beds are well known. They, they're like reefs. They've been around for, you know, 30, 40 years. And for the fishes and the other organisms that live in, around, and above the leaf litter beds, there's a lot of potential food, which varies somewhat between the wet and the dry seasons and the accompanying water levels. But it's really important to them. And the fishes tend to utilize, you know, mud, detritus, epiphytic materials, which accumulate in the leaf litter as food. We know this. During the dry season, water levels are generally lower. So this organic layer compensates for the shortage of other food resources like crustaceans and insects and so forth. During the higher water periods, there's a much greater amount of alochthonous input. In other words, stuff that comes in from outside. We've talked about that before. Like trees, you know, leaf litter and stuff like that. 
So there's more of this stuff coming in from the surrounding terrestrial environment in the form of, you know, plant material and also fruits and insects and other stuff. And I suppose that in our aquariums, I guess you could say it's pretty much always the wet season, right? Because we're always putting in food. We're always tend to top off decomposing leaves and botanical materials more or less continuously. And that makes me wonder, like, what if we stopped replacing leaves and even lowered the water levels or decreased water exchanges in our tanks to correspond to, you know, for example, the Amazonian dry season, which is what, June to December. And if you consider that many fishes tend to spawn in the dry season, you know, concentrating in the shallow waters, could this have implications for breeding? Could. In fact, I further proffer that we need to look a lot deeper into the idea of environmental manipulation for the purposes of getting our fishes to be healthier, more colorful, and especially to spawn. Now, I know this idea is nothing new on a macro level. We've been increasing and lowering temps in our aquariums and adjusting lighting levels and tweaking stuff for a long time. That's part of the hobby lore. But you ever think about why we do it? It's kind of interesting. Killifish keepers have played with this in drying and incubating, you know, annual killifish eggs and, and peat moss or whatever they used whatever they use however i don't think we've been doing a lot of real hardcore manipulations like adjusting water levels increasing nutrient levels you know pulsing adding leaves and other botanical materials manipulating current dissolved oxygen changing food types stuff like that i think there's so many different things that we can play with and so many nuances that we can investigate and manipulate in our aquariums it would be amazing. What about the pulsing of leaf additions to correspond to the seasonal leaf drop? What kind of results could you get out of that? I think that this could even add a new nuance to biotope aquarium simulation, like creating an aquarium which simulates a certain river in October or whatever, for example, with appropriate environmental conditions such as water level, amounts of alachthonus material, etc., etc. So you could show those hardcore contest biotope snobs what a real biotope aquarium is all about. The possibilities are endless here about operating your aquarium there's so much to consider now look we don't embrace the aesthetic of dark water or bottom covered in decomposing leaves and you know the appearance of biofilms and fungal growth on driftwood because it allows us to be more relaxed in the care of our tanks right or because we think we're so much smarter than everybody else i mean we're doing this stuff for a reason to create more natural functioning displays for our fishes that just happen to look cool to understand and acknowledge that our fishes and their very existence is influenced by the habitats in which they've evolved and that there's lots of influences, you know, external and internal. Wild tropical aquatic habitats are influenced greatly by the surrounding geography and the flora of their region, which in turn have considerable influence on the population of fishes which inhabit them and their life cycle. The simple fact of the matter is, when we add botanical materials to an aquarium and accept what occurs as a result, regardless of whether our intent is just to create a different aesthetic or perhaps something more, we are, to a very real extent, replicating the processes and the influences that occur in wild aquatic habitats in nature. The presence of botanical materials such as leaves in these aquatic habitats is literally fundamental. In our little hobby sector, leaves are sort of the gateway drug, right, into our world. In nature, as we've discussed many, many times, leaf litter zones comprise one of the richest and most diverse biotopes in the tropical aquatic ecosystem, yet until recently, they've almost never been really replicated in the aquarium. I think this has been due in a large part you know, to the lack of continuous availability of products for the hobbies to work with, and really more, more so a lack of real understanding about what these habitats are all about, not to mention the understanding of the practicality of creating them or recreating them in the aquarium. You know, a lot of long-held fears and concerns like, 
you know, overwhelming our systems with biological materials and the overall look of decomposing leaves and botanicals in our tank have, you know, undoubtedly led to this idea of being relegated to sideshow status for many years. And it's only been recently that we've started looking at them more objectively and, you know, as ecological niches worth replicating in aquariums. The thought behind this habitat um, could probably best be summarized. I've got a summary I want to read to you, uh, an excerpt from an academic paper um, by a, a researcher named Peter Allen Henderson. It's kind of useful for those of us attempting to replicate these communities in our aquarium. Let me read this to you. Uh, he talks about life within the litter is not a crowded, chaotic scramble for space and food. Each species occupies a subregion defined by physical variables such as flow and oxygen content, water depth, litter depth, and particle size. The subtle division of space is the key to understanding the maintenance of diversity. While subdivision of time is also evident with, for example, gymnotids, which are knife fishes, hunting by night and cichlids hunting by the day, this is only possible when each species has its own space within which to hide. So in other words, different species inhabit different sections of the leaf litter bed. And we should consider this when creating and stocking our aquariums that represent this habitat. The implication for aquariums is that we can literally create a diverse fish community by embracing a deep bed of leaf litter, and it's the theme of the aquarium. It's really neat stuff, and we're really just scratching the surface here. It's so beyond just, you know, creating an aggregation of material that imparts, you know, color and humic substances into the water in our tanks. We're creating a little habitat. Every bit is interesting, diverse, and complex as any other that we attempt to, you know, replicate. In the aquarium, you need to consider both practicality and aesthetics when replicating this habitat. And it's a habitat that deserves your attention and your study. Obviously, there's so much to learn about the idea of managing or operating our botanical method aquariums. You know, there's a lot to understand. There's a lot to unwrap. There's bigger questions like, what's the advantage? That's part of the fun. We can play a hunch, but we won't know for certain until we actually delve into this stuff. So who's in? Count me in. Stay thoughtful. Stay curious. Stay engaged. Stay innovative. Stay operational. And always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Feldman from Tannin Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me. I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tannin.